You've entered Bookstorm with Kristen Civiletto and me, Chris Storm. This is a podcast devoted to best-selling books that matter, books that make a difference. We're diving down deep with beloved authors about their stories. We're exposing hot-button topics and heartfelt themes, the issues that affect each of us in our own lives as siblings, parents, partners, friends, as human beings. We're braving new ideas, fresh thoughts, hard lessons and important truths. Those kinds of things that stay with us long after we turn the last page and close the book. Welcome back to Bookstorm Podcast. Book lovers, you are going to be thrilled with who we have with us here today. We are very excited when we get someone from another country other than the U.S., especially a talented and gifted author like John Mars. We're here to talk to him about his book, The Vacation. We loved it. It's deep, thought-provoking, intriguing. And John, welcome to Bookstorm. Thank you, guys. Very nice to be here. Now, before we get started, I always like to give a little bit of your bio because you have a lot of followers, especially with your new Netflix series that might not know so much about you. And you've worked really hard and it's well-deserved. John Mars has over 2 million copies of his books sold across the world. Wow. Did you know he's a freelance journalist based in London? He has spent the past 20 years interviewing celebrities from television, film, music, all for national newspapers and magazines. That sounds fun. He has written for publications, including The Guardian's Guide, Guardian Online, Total Film, Huffington Post, GT, The Independent, and many more. If you haven't caught it yet, you've got to tune into his novel, The One, which has become a major Netflix original series starring Hannah Ware and Dimitri Leonidas. Now we have endorsements for John Mars's books from wonderful sources like OK Magazine, Sunday Express, Daily Star Journal, Off the Shelf Books, Always Reading, Zero's Library. And I have to quote what Reading Room with a View said about this book, The Vacation, because Kristen and I agree. They said this book, quite simply, blew me away. That's how we feel. Welcome, John Mars. Hi, guys. God, my head, you can't, your listeners won't be able to hear my head swelling at this point. (laughs) Never get out of the house again. Well, John, as Chris mentioned, we're here to talk about the vacation. And I'll give us just a little bit of the backdrop. If you want to add anything, by all means do. It's a little tricky to avoid spoilers here, but I'm going to work very hard to do that because you don't see the twists and turns in this book coming, let me tell you. Um, This story is mostly set in Venice Beach, California. Now, it's a bohemian beach town, as many know, if you've ever been there. There's colorful characters, a lively boardwalk, but the eight plus characters that you highlight are staying at a hostel in Venice Beach, and their stay is anything but fun in the sun. Many of them are there because they are running from something. They've got secrets, and virtually none of them know who to trust. This story, I want to just highlight just a couple of the characters that we meet, and then we'll dive right in. Uh, First of all, we meet Tommy. He's an affable young man from England. We meet Declan and Maddie, two friends from Ireland. We meet Ruth from Australia. 
And I'm, I'm going to leave it at that for right now. We meet Savannah from the Deep South. We've got Eric and Nicole, two nurses from England. And Jake, a charismatic man with a past he's trying very hard to conceal. We also meet a character named Paik. And I'm not going to say anything more about that character yet. I'm going to leave it to you to, to disclose anything there. But these characters' lives start to intersect they combust in ways that are absolutely compulsively readable, and we just loved it. Did you want to Thanks. add anything? Oh no, it's amazing. I was just going to say that it was um, it's based on a on a backpacking hostel that I stayed at when I was backpacking around America many many years ago, and it still exists. Um, we went over there. We did like a little road trip around California about four or five years ago, and I went back into that hostel for the first time in it must have been about twenty four years. And it was it was weird because it smelt the same. It just smelt <laughs> sweaty sneakers and cheap cheap food. Um, and yeah, it was just it was it was awesome just being back in there for a few minutes. It's very odd. You know, oh, I good. always say I always say to my friends, the places we stayed, we were willing to sleep when we were 18, 19, all over, didn't even check anything compared to now in my old age has greatly changed. <laughs> Absolutely. Now it's all about the feather counts of a duvet. <laughs> Yeah, I'm absolutely with you on that. So for our listeners, here's what I say about this book. I can't stop thinking about it. It's super cool. It's hip. It's with it. It's on point and it's current, even though you wrote it a while back. And at first, the reader watches these people's lives collide in the hostel. And we think, wow, these people are messed up. But then slowly, with the brilliant unraveling by the author, you, we discover we have something in common with every single one of these cast of characters. They're living real lives with real worlds and real hurts. These people were brought, many were a byproduct of their past. In most cases, they endured childhood or teen abuse, trauma, neglect by their parents' faults. They were scarred. Listen. They had strict rules, imposing belief systems, alcoholism, unforgiveness, favoritism, blame. I could go on and on. We saw it all. But, you know, I couldn't help but think, John, as the writer of these heartfelt characters, we all experience this in the real world. How did they break free from their injured past? Or maybe some of them never did. I don't think many of them did. I think they're, they're literally escaping I think that I don't think they're broken free of the shackles of whatever tied them down, but I think somehow they they have escaped this this place that they think will will change them, and it turns out that it won't change them. It's up to them to change themselves. It's just a different, same stuff, but different scenario. Um, and I think yeah, that's what the, the book is basically about. I think you've you've nailed it there. Mm-hmm. Fascinating, truly fascinating. I I've got to add a little quote um, because I think it goes along with this. At one point, Lewis comes out and says. I'm not going to be responsible for you not grabbing every opportunity you can. You can do the next bit on your own. I hope you find your beach. Sums it up. Thank you. Yeah, I'm, part of it. I'm going to admit, part of it was inspired by. Um, I went through a period of in the in the, in the 1990s of not reading much for a very long time, um, and then the book that kind of got me back into reading was The Beach by Alex Garland. And I loved that. And I, I enjoyed the film as well, very much so. But that's the book that really kind of got me into reading again. And when I started my writing career, I 
you know, I, I was kind of inspired by his approach of of trying to escape what you what you were living in at the time, going to something completely different, trying to reinvent yourself, but never quite managing to escape the past. Um, and so, yeah, I'm not saying that I ripped him off, but I ripped him off. <laughs> we loved it. John, I want to dive in a little deeper on something you just said. You know, in this story, there was an amazing way that the simple hostel served as the backdrop for all of these really interesting characters to come together. And I wanted to see what you thought about this, because why is it that putting people in this microcosm and putting them in the simple hostel brought out so much of what they were searching for or what maybe they didn't know they needed? I think being in a totally different environment makes them maybe... A, a, obviously they've escaped from what the environment they were in then they're in a totally new situation and they're forced to stand on their own two feet and they're forced to confront things about their past they're forced to try and work out whether that's the person they want to remain or whether they want to turn into somebody else and if they want to turn into somebody else they've got to work through what they've gone through before um yeah and it's um i was saying to you guys before we start recording it the the hostel itself does exist um and I, I went there 1992 is when I traveled. And then when I went back in what 2016, it, I was just looking at some of the young people there and thinking, um, I, I wonder who was like me back then, or who was like 21, hadn't really done anything, hadn't left home, still living with their parents, doing a little job. Um, but then decided, I mean, I I wasn't trying to escape anything. I was just almost like kind of trying to find myself. And I don't wish to sound really pretentious, but that's the greatest thing I ever did with my life. Because I don't think my life would be where it was now, where it is now, if I hadn't stood on my own two feet in a completely different country. And, you know, the things that we did, I did back then were just absolutely ridiculous, guys. Like I was hitchhiking. Who the heck hitchhikes these days? Greyhound coaches sleeping in Greyhound stations overnight so they didn't have to pay for accommodation. Kind of searching underneath underneath vending machines for like loose change and stuff like that because you need to be able to get like a couple of candy bars out of it. But it's all part of, you know, all kind of part of what's made me kind of who I am today, whether that's a good or a bad thing. Yeah. And and that comes through loud and clear in your story because, you know, I, I did the same thing. I had an experience twice of backpacking through Europe. You know, I had wow. nothing and we did silly, stupid things like sleeping on the Paris Opera House steps or at train stations. Wow. Things I would not want my children doing now, obviously. Yeah. But yeah. your point is so well taken. It's It forces you to really think about these new experiences, new people you're meeting. And I loved that in your story, we had people of all different backgrounds that were pushing one another to examine themselves. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to try and do different people, different countries, different experiences, but they're all kind of under the same umbrella of slightly broken people who need to either heal or come to terms with the fact that they are broken and maybe they can't do anything about it. Yeah. And there's there's something so cool about going to another country, especially Europe, and finding people from all other countries all joined mm. together in one location. And you realize you got a lot more in common than you have different. And, and it's, it sort of goes in my next question. Your story showed the reader the imperativeness of human connection, but also the truth that some human connections destroy your faith in people. Savannah said, and I want to quote, Sometimes we put our faith in people and they end up hurting us more than we ever thought possible. It seems it was the people she needed the most and loved the most who hurt her the deepest. And as the writer of this character, who we all loved and rooted for, what did it take for Savannah to finally declare, I'm done being the victim? 
I think she I think she thought that she was quite self-reliant. She thought that just because she escaped her, she's got quite a um a religious uh, father who was quite domineering on her life in her life. And once she managed to escape his control, I think that she thought that was it. She wouldn't have to worry about anything else. But a succession of events occur that means that she is kind of she never manages to escape until a certain point in the book when something happens. She's she's constantly relying on other people. I don't think she means to, but she's relying on other people to try and help her break free of the past. And eventually she realizes the only person who can do this is me. So yeah, things move forward from her for her at that point. I really enjoyed writing her. She was like, you know, when you, you, you when you write a book and you go through so many drafts and so many your character changes throughout. So by the time you got to the end, it doesn't necessarily bear much resemblance to the one that you started with. So you have to rewrite and rewrite. She was one of the very few characters I had to do much to because she, she was just absolutely fully formed to me. And and this is what I said in the beginning. You you put these characters so real. And with so many layers in history that we, even if we didn't want to, we see a little bit of ourselves in them, including, uh, including this character, Ruth, who, by the way, I loved, who was obsessed with the rock star that, that had me blew my mind. I loved writing about Ruth and you know what? It sounds a bit daft, but it was, um, partially based on when we were, um, well, it was a friend of mine and I, we went backpacking around America and we ended up in a tiny little town called McCanopy in Florida um and we really wanted we, we knew that the actor river phoenix lived there at the time and so we you know we we walked about five miles through you know with our backpacks on to try and find the farm where he lived and when we got there it was like well no he's away filming and has been about the last six months <laughs> oh so we, we were kind of really rubbish stalkers and so i decided with ruth to try and take her that quite a few steps forward and um yeah push her slightly towards the uh, over the edge that was fun thank you that was that was fun um there's another character, Pake, that we've referenced and a saying that he had in the book. There's a saying that goes, fate determines who enters your life. Your actions decide who stays. So who am I to interfere with yours or anyone else's destiny? Now, there's a lot of wisdom in this, and there's a lot of wisdom in this character generally. And I wanted to ask you, you know, did your characters have to learn that lesson the hard way? I think so. Yeah, I, I do. I'm a bit I'm a bit torn about fate because sometimes, yeah, I believe that kind of fate does exist. And other times I think you make your own fate. Um, and as an author, you get to do both. You get to make your own fate and then you get to be really, really horrible to the people you're writing about and push them as far as you can. But yeah, I do. I do think. Um, yeah, I think my characters, they had to learn this. They definitely had to learn this the hard way, because if they didn't, then there'd be no story with there. There'd be no growth. There'd be no development in them. You just end up with the same character you started with, with the, with the same version right at the very end. So it's, um yeah, I don't know whether that answers your question. Oh, absolutely. And okay. uh, this character, we don't know much about him, Pig, no. but he was uh, almost, you know, a lot of wisdom came from him and a lot of people considered what he said and then did make changes in their lives. So I thought that yeah. was a really interesting character. He was fun to write because when you're thinking of your characters and when you're trying to create a little bit of a background with them, um, I didn't do that with him because he was so quite mysterious and you don't, you're not supposed to know much about him, but you soon learn that a lot of the characters in the book do, as you said, listen to him and kind of take his advice. Some of them initially, no, you know, they don't, they ignore him. Then they kind of come around to his way of thinking. Um, but yeah, it was almost, yeah, it, it was fun writing him. I, I enjoyed writing him because yeah, I've not written anyone like him before. 
where you where he's quite a main character, but you know so little about him. Yeah. Yeah, I enjoyed that too. Thank you. This is just a tease for all of our listeners because we can't give away any spoilers, of course, but what you've heard here today is just a little bit of it. You've got to pick up this book, The Vacation by John Mars. You're going to just love it and you're going to think about it for a long while after. But before we let you go, you've got a lot that you're working on. What are you doing next? What's coming out Uh next or... So I have a psychological thriller out. I'm, I'm lucky I get to write psychological thrillers and speculative fiction. So I have a psychological thriller out in February called The Stranger in Her House. Um, I have a speculative fiction called The Family Experiment, which is out in July in the UK. I'm not sure when it's out in the US and Canada. And then I have another one out that I'm just putting the finishing touches to at the moment of the first draft um, of another thriller um, for about February 2025. And then that's it. I don't know what I'm going to do after that. I might just retire. (laughs) (laughs) And travel. And travel, yes. And stay at five-star hotels now, not not the hospital. (laughs) Absolutely, yes. Not a chance. Just just talking now about hostels, um, just remind you of a place that I stayed in Chicago once. It was the strangest hostel I've ever been to and ever will do. So on the on the middle floor, there was uh, it's like a day centre for people with Alzheimer's and dementia. On the top floor is where they lived um, and they slept at night. And on the ground floor was where backpackers stayed. And sometimes the people from the top floor kind of made their way down to the bottom floor. And the first thing you would know that they were there was in the middle of the night and just someone standing looming over your face. <laughs> oh, they're speaking or shouting at you or kind of rubbing your shoulder. It was the, the weirdest experience of my life. That's terrifying. That mm. That is the fun of this hostel, that it's affordable. Anyone can go in there, all walks of life. And any of us who've ever stayed in one, I haven't, but my kids have. And, um, it just hits home. It's like I said, it's super cool. It's hip and it's current. And um, so let me tell our listeners, you have to connect with John Mars. Got to keep track of what he's doing because he's doing a lot. You can find him on his website, johnmarsauthor.com. He's on Facebook, Instagram, X. I'm now calling it X because it's it's officially X now I see on my on everywhere with the emblem. And you're on TikTok. And it's been a pleasure talking to you today. Lots of fun. Hope to have you back with one of these new books. Absolutely. I'd love to come back. Thank you, guys. It's so nice to meet you. You as well. Chris, so many interesting things came up in that discussion because this book was very deep, as you pointed out right from the get-go. And there was something I wanted to go back to that you had asked John about, and that is these traumas and harms that people experience as children. And one that came out loud and clear in this story was blame. We saw where parents put a lot of blame on their children for things that maybe were, you know, out of their control or their own fault as parents. And projecting that onto them did a lot of harm. And I'm wondering if we as a society are starting to understand how much harm that blaming your children can do. Well, you know, I hope so. But let's face it, parents are just people. And we, as we're parenting, we're going through our own life issues and we make mistakes. And I've often said to my kids, look, I'm not perfect, but I have loved you and tried to be the best parent there is. So I can't judge anybody else who's parenting or what they've done or haven't done. But parents can easily screw kids up. Blame was one of them. What about too strict of rules? What about imposing your own beliefs and not letting them make their own choices? What about alcoholism? What about lack of love? 
How about parents who can't forgive their kids? How about favoritism? This is a toxicity, a blatantly favoring one child over the other and using that against the other kids. It's a long list of stuff. And in this book, we saw almost all of those. Most all these characters walked into this hostel carrying a bunch of baggage. How do you get over it? As a child, how to get over it? Absolutely. You know, I think, and I agree with you. And I think, though, as parents, when you know better, you have to do better. And we're starting to know better about some of these effects on children, you know, 10, 20 years later. Um, for example, I just saw a study just came out saying that yelling at children turns out to be pretty harmful. Now, we don't necessarily need studies to show us some of those things, but the fact that we're now starting to measure some of these things that we took as normal, maybe 20, 30 years ago, 50 years ago, are maybe harmful. So we got to do better. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I know I've mentioned this before on the podcast, but I had a very wise friend many years ago when I was a mo young mother who I would come to her and say, do you think I should do this? Do you think I should do that? And she said, if you're worried about being a good mom, you're a good mom. It's people that just don't care. We've got a whole spectrum of parenthood. But I also can relate to this with my new granddaughter because she's three months old and they're not doing anything that we did. You can't have the certain crib. They have to lay only on their back. She can only be in the car for two hours at a time. And I'm like, where's this? This is all new. We, we, we as kids didn't even have seatbelts. That's how old I am. So I guess live and learn. And hopefully, like you said, Kristen, we get better and better. Absolutely. Well, what else jumped out at you? Well, I liked, um, I thought this was interesting. Um, the opportunity and the absolute ruin of it with one bad choice. We saw some characters in the book that made one bad choice. I'm thinking of Zach in particular, and I'm not going to say what he did. Uh, it blew my mind. And I thought about our own lives, um, how sometimes we blame everyone else for our failures, but maybe we really need to look back and think what part we played or maybe did not play. It hit me a little strong. What do you think? Yeah, yeah that whole idea of fate and us being able to determine some things that happen going forward. And, you know, those are the tricky things to sort out. Did I put myself in this position? You know, did I choose friends unwisely? There's so much you could always blame and go back and back and back, but I'm not sure that that's useful. Um, I like this saying too. This was in the book. I'm not going to say who. It was a message from a friend and it said, quote, what we are never changes, but who we are never stops changing. Remember me better than I am. Wow. That, I, that hit me pretty good. I'm like, I think we could all say that to our friends. Yeah. I've never, you, you knew me when I was 20, 30, 35 going, you knew me when I was 45, but going through something, but I've changed since then. Yeah. That's why we got to give people the benefit of the doubt sometimes, not always, but sometimes. And that's well put. And also a little shout out in this book, because John mentioned Niagara Falls, my hometown, and uh, two of the characters go to Niagara Falls and do some of the touristy things. So that was kind of exciting to see. <laughs> yes, it's very, very cool. I'm from Buffalo too, although I don't live there anymore and have been there many times and loved it. One of the wonders of the world. So readers, thanks so much for joining us. 
It was so fun to have John Mars straight from London. I love it when we get international authors coming to visit us. And guess what? Stay tuned to Bookstorm because we've got great things ahead. Lisa C. with Lady Tan's Circle of Women, Patricia Cornwell, Unnatural Death, Tess Gerritsen, Spy Coast, Jenny Colgan, Midnight at the Christmas Bookshop, Jacqueline Machard, A Very Inconvenient Scandal, Virginia Contra, The Fairy Tale Life of Dorothy Gale, Kathleen Grissom with Crow Mary, Nick Petrie, The Price You Pay, Nita Prost, The Mystery Guest. Kristen, are we going to have fun? Oh my gosh, I can't wait to talk about those stories. Um, We've obviously read them and we love them. So we've got a lot in store. And we are excited, listeners. We've got you in 69, 70 different countries in all 50 states and, you know, a thousand, fifteen hundred plus cities. I think it's amazing. We thank you. Thank you for sharing our socials. And of course, you can find us on uh, X, on TikTok, at bookstormpodcast.com, on Facebook and Instagram and YouTube. You can see all the authors that we've been interviewing. Pull up any of those interviews. And trust me, they are so worth it. These authors are lively and interesting. And we go deep. Till next time, listeners, one of the best ways to brave the storm is to dive down deep into life-changing fiction.